นะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโทอะระหะโทสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโทอะระหะโทสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอภารุทาเดสังกัมมะทัสสะ
that the nature and, and reality is suffering. The real world is all about being miserable and suffering. Uh, it's not that. It's that the end of suffering. Teach two things, suffering and the end of suffering. So the end of suffering is here. I'm pointing to my heart or jitta. In Thailand they call it jitta and they point, they do this. And then Lung Pao Cha used to say, suffering ends here. And then he'd point to his heart, or the world, end of the world is here. And so these are, and he wasn't pointing to himself as a, as, you know, Ajahn Chah, the world ends with Ajahn Chah. But I mean, this is, this is a intuitive pointing because we're, we see the world as something out there. We see the, the real world, we get intimidated being monastics because we oftentimes are criticized for not living in the real world and uh, that we don't live in the real world, we live in some kind of illusory world. But as you know, that the real world is, is not real the suffering, the wars, the strife, the, the endless problems, the neuroses, human misery, human discontentment, unhappiness, quarrels, broken marriages, broken homes, criminal, criminality, and all the rest is not the real world. It is the world though. Yeah, the world is like that. It's about the nature of conditioned phenomena. Is that it is uh, changing, unstable, uncertain. And so this is, you know, this is a reflection pointing to conditioned phenomena, which is the five khandhas. So then you, you have this, this uh, neat little package of the five khandhas to work with. Now that simplifies everything because conditioned phenomena is, uh, in its varieties, is endless. You know, it's just, uh, you know, whether it's macrocosmic, microcosmic, whether, you know, it's universal in macrocosm or just nanotechnologies, un unconceivable, unseeable, but where it's so small that we can't even find it with any kind of tech, uh, technology. So it goes from, from micro, microscopic, macroscopic, huge, small, close, far, all these, all these are words we use to describe phenomena. Sankara, phenomena, conditions. <coughs> and so there's the human body is a condition. It's a phenomenon. So that, uh, and, and so this is where we start looking at, the, at our own body, not, no longer from the perspective of cultural attitudes or memories or conditions of any sort, but in this very direct way, rupa kanda. The rupa kanda is, is this, and so it's, it's not a matter of 
of uh, looking at somebody else's rupa kanda, but there's one right here that I that I experience all the time. So this rupa kanda then, the it's changing from personal pronouns, identities of any sort, but just noticing a sankara, a condition, a phenomenon that that I happen to be very much experiencing at this very moment, this rupakanda. And it's like this. You see, so this is this is uh, this is what we call investigation of Dhamma, looking into the nature of things. So these five khandas are convenient or expedient ways to investigate phenomena, both, uh, you know, from the coarse rupa level to the uh, refined feeling and consciousness, memory, emotion, uh, happiness, unhappiness, and all the rest of the range, the, <coughs> the spectrum of conditioned phenomena from the best to the worst. So this is like on this uh, vasa, you know, this encouragement to keep investigating, you know, looking at whatever happens during this vasa. Doesn't matter. You know, whatever the weather or the problems or the conditions or whatever, whatever way they are. We can make them into problems and crises and, and, and uh, get worried and upset and anxious and offended and hurt and sad and, and so forth because the conditions aren't always what we want. We don't. We want certain conditions, we don't want other conditions. Well, that's about conditions, but what I'm pointing to is a way of reflecting on conditioned phenomena, of, of observing it, in, in which we're no longer trying to, to uh, make anything out of it, but just recognize it. The reality of conditioned phenomena is that it is impersonal, it's anatta, and it's changing. No matter how strongly you feel your emotions are yours, they're empty. This feeling I'm hurt because I'm not respected and not appreciated is an empty condition. It has no, no soul, no core, no substance, no essence. When you investigate from the awareness level, Sati Sampachanya. It's not a, it's not, seeing it as empty is not dismissing or denying, because that's, that's, that's a, some kind of value judgment you're putting on. It's recognizing. It's awakened, consciousness awakened to Dhamma, to reality. It's as simple as that.
So this is uh, this teaching, you know, that <coughs> we all know. I mean, most of us have been at it for years using this this formula, and and the, the, you know these kind of Pali uh, teachings, the Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta, and therefore that these are skillful means for investigating reality to break through the illusions, the delusions, the conditioning, the attachment to conditioned phenomena. And everything, every condition, whether it's happiness or unhappiness, takes us to the unconditioned, if you just let it. You know, whether you're happy or sad, or you get what you want, or you don't, Everything, whether, you know, it's all conditions arising, ceasing, that all ceases in the unconditioned. The reality of the Amata Dhamma. That's real. Amata Dhamma is reality. And the relationship of Amata Dhamma or the unconditioned to the conditioned, is not one of judging. Everything, every condition is born and ceases in the unconditioned. So you see, it's not a dismissal or it's not saying the unconditioned is inferior or the conditioned is inferior to the unconditioned. That's the way the thinking mind works. You know, you can go into, I'm, you know, I want to live in the unconditioned reality and not create any more conditions. It's still, you know, that's still Sakya Ditti Sila Bhattabharamasa Vichikita. So these terms are not, you know, to take sides. I'm for the unconditioned I'm, and I can't be bothered with the condition, but it, to be able to know, to discern the condition as the condition and realize, real, to know reality, recognize the real. Now this is extraordinarily simple, or maybe it's just ordinarily simple. Because <laughs> extraordinary is, is, is an extreme, isn't it? But you get my point, just the rhetoric. <laughs> but but the, uh, the simplicity of it. Now notice how personality is a complicated thing. In that being a person, being somebody, is incredibly complicated. You know, when I... You know, my my personality tends to make everything complicated, and I've watched it for years. Watched how, you know, as soon as I get caught in my feelings and desires and loves and hates and preferences and opinions and views, the whole whole the world arises, and it's a complicated world, full of fears and complaints and, and disappointments, worries, anxieties appear from 
this personality, personal habit. Emotionally, I've watched my emotions, how they're, you know, for me to be happy or unhappy, to be sad or disappointed or uh, fed up or feeling wonderful, a lot of faith and happiness and joy or worry and complaining discontentment. So that which is aware of these emotions and say the emotional state is that it seems more real than anything else, isn't it? When we're caught up with our feelings, it seems, you know, it takes us over. We can be completely uh, enslaved to our emotional feelings. And so it's, it, and that's where this Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, this level in the five khandhas, feeling, perception, and uh, formation. Just notice how that, that, that you can be aware of that. You can be aware of happiness and unhappiness. You can be aware of sukha and dukkha. You can be aware of, of me and mine, of what my feelings and what I think and what, what I want. That which is aware of me is not me. Now don't, this is not to be grasped as some kind of profound teaching. It's, a, it's an encouragement to investigate, find out what is. Is this which is aware, it's, it's pure, it's conscious, it's discerning. But me depends on thinking. To become a person, to become me, I have to think me. What about me uh, and my feelings? And that is, that which is aware of me is not me, it's anatta. And if you take this, the, just keep examining, investigating this in this way, so you you, you, the whole structure, the whole illusory structure, attachment to conditioned phenomena begins to fall away. It's no longer believable, no longer convincing. Because it is illusory. There's no essence to it, in any of the five khandhas. There's no personal essence or substance or core or soul or special thing that that is just mine. But the, the Buddha is the knowing, the ability we all have to know reality. Because consciousness is ability to know. It's, it, it's intelligent. Consciousness is intelligent. Discerning. Thinking can be, can sound intelligent, but also, also can sound stupid. You know, so thinking is a, 
is a creation, a human creation that we, uh, we cling to. We're attached to our thoughts and views and opinions. Our memories. How many of you are very attached to memory? To, to having opinions and views and identities? You know, this is, th these are very convincing because this me, me, me is very, uh, can, can really kind of take one over. I used to see in my, you know, investigating this sense of what about me? What about, you know, like I'm, this, uh, you know, all through my life there's always been this sense of me on the outside. What about me? Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? And what about me? Does anybody really care about me or think of me? Or does anybody really love me? And, and you know, I've, this sense of me is, uh, this English word me is, has this great power, you know. Very convincing. Because, it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a kind of, has this uh, power of emphasis, emphasizing me as a separate phenomenon. Me as a person. Me as a man. Me as an American. Me as 74 years old. Me as a bhikkhu. Me as a, and that, you know, this is, this is empty. Me is empty. When you really observe, that which is observing this sense of me, isn't judging it, it's not saying it's wrong to, to think me, but it, it knows there's a discernment, a recognition, that if I attach to this and follow this sense of me and mine, where does it take me to suffering every time? Complicated, endless problems, difficult scenes, fears, resentments, disappointments. All through my life as a monk, you know, I've, I, I came into monastic life very idealistic. very idealistic about Buddhism and monastic life and Thai forest tradition. But every convention has disappointed me in some way or another. So then this is just the nature of conditions, isn't it? They're all disappointing. Even when I get what I want, it's not enough. And, and uh, it's just, you know, I'm not, it's not a criticism of the convention, but just a recognition of, of what idealism and altruism can do, you know, what we, what we come into this life with, and why so many people leave it, because it's disappointing on the me level. I don't get what I want from it, or from the ego level. So that's where the, the uh, it wasn't what I was expecting. 
it was <laughs> you know it wasn't why I wanted something else but then the whole point of this uh, Four Noble Truth is to see the nature of wanting wanting something you don't have or not wanting things to be the way they are so in this Bawa Dunha Vipa Second Noble Truth Bawadanha is always wanting something you don't have yet, wanting to attain and achieve, wanting to get rid of suffering, wanting to be respected, wanting to achieve states of high states of meditation, wanting to attain purity, wanting to become arahants. Bawadanha, Vipawadanha is wanting to get rid of what I have, I don't want, I don't want this, I don't want these feelings, I don't want it to be like this. Now this is, these are very recognizable, I mean it's a, such a clear statement in this Aryasatsi, in the Four Noble Truths. Gamadana, Bhavadana, Vipavadana, an attachment to these blind attachments, Avita and, and then Danha and then Ubadana. And then there's, then it always takes you to suffering. Soka parite vatuka tomanat upayasa. Now that is, is not doctrinal, it's, it's to be investigated. To be seen, it's budget tongue, to see for yourself, know for yourself. To know reality, no one else can make you enlightened or no reality. But we can point to it. And that's what the Buddha's teachings do. They're pointing. They're pointers at reality. Life is very short, so it, it's, you know, don't, don't waste your life when you have this opportunity to use this, this experience, this, this birth, this rupa kanda, this, this personality that you have, this, uh, the, the loves and hates and feelings and the five khandas, the six ayatanas that you're experiencing right now, using them for awakened discernment. You know, so we're not here to try to make things nice and, and, and ha you know, and try to make things peaceful and nice and, and what we want, what we desire. But it's a, it's a, this is the challenge of this life, the samana life. A samana, alms mendicant. This is, remember that, that, uh, that monks and nuns were alms mendicants. Meaning that we're putting ourselves right on the line of uh, depending on the goodwill of other people, of the lay community. 
Now that's different than if we have, if we're priests that have rights to control the lay community and uh, kind of dominate it or intimidate it. Remember, alms mendicants were actually beggars. We put ourselves at the very bottom of the, of the ladder of society. In terms that we, we have no money and we can't, we can't even, you know, we can't even uh, grow our own food. We are totally dependent on food, on shelter, on something to wear, on medicine. Totally dependent on the goodwill, kindness of the lay community. <clears throat> now that can be taken in a personal way, like, you know, I'm... I'm so pure that I'm doing this, and that, that's not what, that's not a mind of a samana. But it is, you know, I'm not trying to, to say we're somehow uh, so pure and good that we can do this. But this is a daring thing to do, isn't it? It's really putting yourself, your life on the line. And so it's, uh, this is, uh, you know, it's taking a risk. It's risky. It's better to have money in the bank. Own your own house. Make sure, you know, that you have, your rights are all recognized and you're treated properly and everything is, is what you want and safe and make and everything supports your need for security and love and appreciation and protection. But just think, just reflect on what an alms mendicant is. It's putting yourself right out on the edge of existence. How many of you will stay here when the economy falls apart and take a risk? You know, how many of you could bear with? I mean, we have, we take so much for granted here, a well-supported monastery. But remember, this this support of this monastery is from the goodness, the goodwill of, a of the lay community in an affluent country. So it's, uh, you know, it's, in some ways it's, it's, it, it spoils us. We begin to just take it for granted and lack that sense of gratitude, kadanyu. And we start thinking of rights, my rights, and what I want in the worldly way. This is a time where human rights are the ultimate. Everybody's talking about rights. And this is, you know, this is modern life about, you know, I want, I have my rights, and I'm going to make sure that I get them. This is a worldly mind. Human rights are about worldly things, about me and I want to be treated equally and respected and ha get my rights recognized because uh, I don't want to feel insecure. Well, this alms mendicant life is it's nature's insecurity, not about rights. We have moral rights. The five precepts, isn't it? Or the eight, or the ten, or the Vinaya. Oh, these are these are our rights to to uh, 
determined to live within these, these restraints on behavior and speech. Now the world is like this. It's all about rights. That's all you ever hear in the news, uh, in its, uh, in internationally, politically, socially. It's all about rights now. Human rights, everything is about that. And that's where, where consciousness people are very much aware of their rights. So then, the, what, what are the rights of an alms mendicant? We give up rights. We live within an agreed structure that when we come into this life, we agree to live within the structure of this convention. It's not about having rights in it, it's about duties, performing one's duties within the structure of the Vinaya. So, I mean, that is the, that's the agreement, that's how we play this game. This is in order to not to, to create any more illusions about self or the world, but to break through the illusions. Because we can never break through the illusions if we're always coming from the self-view. The, the first fetter, the first fetter is uh, Sakya Ditti. That, and you'll never get anywhere. You'll be stuck with the uh, personality view and rebirth and reincarnation and all the rest till you begin to see the, the dukkha of attachment to Sakya Ditti. Sila Bhattabharamasa is a human rights thing, isn't it? It's modern. I'm not criticizing human rights. It has certain good points. But as, a, as to make that our purpose in our life, to demand rights, is, is somehow missing the point of this life. You've missed it. You're using it for worldly, for worldly reasons for personal needs. So notice that, that the Samana life is about relinquishing. In the Second Noble Truth, it's about letting go. Isn't it? Pahadapandi. We should let go of desire. We chanted that. Pahad, letting go. It's, it's not a rejection of anything. It's releasing this ignorant grasping, this habitual blind grasping to the five khandhas. So it's not suicide. It's not re, uh, resistance, denial, or suppression. It's letting, letting go, releasing that ignorant hold on the khandhas. And then, and so it's about, this is relinquishment, it's not about attaining. So this, this relinquishing, the life of a summoner is about letting go, relinquishing. That's more the, the attitude of an alms mendicant. Trusting in the Dhamma, we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, Supatipano, Ujupatipano, isn't it uh, those who practice in the right way? Practice, who actually putting this into practice. 
Es ist Sankang Saranangatami. And so indirectly, Uju Patipano is this is direct. This is it can't get more direct than this. So it's uh this is, you know, to, to point out that this is not about social uh, values of the modern time. This is about liberation from delusion, wakening to the real. So this is awakening. Bhutto is awakened to, the, to reality. So, the real <coughs> is not something, is not anything, it's not phenomenon. So you, you can't think about it, you can't create an image of it. And so you say, un unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed. Anatta, Niroda, Nibbana, these words, you can't make them into, you can't think, when you try to think about them, you, 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 you don't get anywhere. Your mind stops. It's like nothing. That's why it, it can be disappointing because if you're expecting something from the meditation practice, if you're expecting some kind of enlightenment or some kind of uplift or some kind of inspiration or something wonderful, bright lights and earth-shaking, world-trembling experiences and you don't get them, then you're disappointed. Because expecting is another kind of desire, isn't it? I want something. You know, I read about it in a book. The earth, the universe trembled when the Buddha was enlightened and shook. Sampa gumpi, sampa weighty. Even the words in the top sound like trembling, don't they? Sampa gumpi, sampa So you're sitting there waiting for some kind of earth-shaking experience and you're not going to, you know, you, even if you get something like that, it doesn't mean anything till you've actually it penetrated with wisdom, reality. And reality is not shaking. It's not trembling. But it's here and now. It's reality. It's real. It's knowable. It's recognizable. So these words, like uh, Third Noble Truth, is about realizing, recognizing the unconditioned. Because when Dukkha ceases, the end of Dukkha, what that, it isn't like annihilation. But there is this, there's reality. When dukkha ceases, there's reality. When you've let go of dukkha, let go of the five khandhas, then their nature is to cease. 
and and then that the, the reality this is real this what when things cease when conditions cease if you don't appreciate this then you never let any you know even though conditions are ceasing all the time you don't notice because you're always looking for something else you're always on the you know next rebirth experience the next cause the next complaint the next emotional upheaval the next crisis the next problem something more to do something to get something that you've got to maybe you should meditate more or you shouldn't meditate or I mean there's all kinds of views and opinions now around now there's a lot of you know people go uh, a lot of interest in Advaita Vedanta these days because Advaita you don't have the you don't have to deal with Vinaya anymore you read the Vinaya te- the Advaita Vedanta teachers and the it's all about being mindful. It's not about, you know, it's, it's very inspiring. And, and Vinaya is not mentioned. And even religious ceremonies and traditions are, you know, totally unnecessary. Now this can be very appealing uh, too. But notice how when, you know, that, that actually what I've learned from this this style, this, this very orthodox kind of Theravada Buddhist style, the Dhamma Vinaya, is that it, it, it gives you, a, you know, it gives you form to work with, to bounce off of. It gives you boundaries where your ego has to, you know, is, is challenged. You're living within the, within the boundaries of it, and then you you know, you resist it, or you don't like it, or you know, or you you know, you get attached to the boundaries. You begin to see that you know, they can, one can just rebel or just get very conditioned, institutionalized through the through the convention. But that's not the point, is it? It's not for one extreme or the other, but to reflect. And then the then the. Uh, Dhamma teachings of the Buddha in the Pali Canon, they're brilliant. They give us, like, what I, the way I'm talking now, I have, we've developed a common vocabulary to discuss Dhamma. You know, you've got these skillful tools to use, like Paticca uh, Samuppada or our Four Noble Truths. You've got uh, the fetters and the stages and, and all these different these these lists, the twenty-two indriya, are brilliant. All kinds of ways of of using conventional teachings, not for uh, grasping or for rejection, but looking at things in different ways, emphasizing, you know, so that we begin, we can investigate, we can see, and it gives us a common vocabulary for discussing, for talking, for for spreading onward to somebody else uh, this, this kind of opportunity. You know, so that's why it's been able to last for so long, this, this form, Theravada or the uh, Buddha Dhamma, 2,550 years, 51 years. Why? Because it, it, it ha- there's something to, there's a convention that carries it, you know. It's, it, it, that that can be 
inherited, you know, goes from one generation to the next. So even at the most dreary and, and unfortunate times of Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, even, even, you know, it goes through phases of flourishing and degenerating and so forth, the actual teaching has been preserved in its purity. I mean, we're, we're getting the pure Theravada, pure Buddhist teaching, this Tamajaka Pawantana Sutta. You can't get better than that in its, in its skillfulness and precision and just on a conventional level of investigating, of awakening. Because it's not about, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's about using something so ordinary like suffering and then through that investigation, seeing the causes of cessation, and recognize, realize non-suffering. And so this is uh, this realm that we're in, that we're experiencing, is is you know is an irritating, frustrating experience. Being born as a human being on this planet is like this. It's not about being peaceful and happy and blissful. It's about growing old, getting sick, seeing the world change, having to put up with all kinds of stupidities and fears and, and ignorant problems in society and wars and gossip and unfairness and judgments, unfair judgments and things like this. This is, this is the, the world <coughs> The sense world, it's about, these are birth and death, but our relationship to the world is knowing, not being born into the world. Loka vidu is knower of the world. So, you know, this, see this time at Amravati as, you know, this is our, this is what we're here for. At least that's what I hope you're here for. Because <laughs> that's all I care about. You know, that's, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I know from experience is, is right, is good, is, is liberating. You can explore, investigate, begin to really understand the nature of the mind, the nature of consciousness. Not through what psychologists or psychiatrists tell you or modern science. It's that you've got the perfect tools within the poly structure, poly canon, for investigating conscious consciousness the nature of the mind. So that's why I can speak with conviction because having used this, explored it ad infinitum and that for many years now, endlessly using the vicissitudes of my karma for investigating suffering and the end of suffering. And so after a while it really you know, the penny drops or the, the bell rings or something. 
suddenly you really get it and you know this. And it's not, no longer, well, I think I know, or, oh, you know, I, I, have, uh, I have a lot more faith now than I used to. It's still I, isn't it? Me and mine. But it is a knowing coming from insight, not from grasping conventions or inspired teachings or uh, wise sayings of others. It's the budgetan, way teed up over you to be known individually by the wise. So this is, you know, see this, this is a wonderful opportunity, Amarvati, this is its purpose, this monastery. It's not for rites or for worldly things. It's for awakened investigation of Dhamma. It's not here to make us feel good. We're not here to feel comfortable and safe. That's not the purpose for being here. <coughs> this is a risk, taking a risk. And it's putting yourself on the, right on the edge. But notice how well supported this monastery is. I don't go out and ask people to support it. I'm never, you know, I don't have, you're around trying to convert people or convince them. It, it generates its own support because it is Dhamma. We're, it's the barami of the Buddha we're, in, we're experiencing now. The accumulated virtues of the Buddha and the teaching of the Buddha, that is very old, 2,551 years as we, you know, in our way of conceiving it. But it's uh, something to, to, you know, to reflect upon and to really value this opportunity because it is rare. There are not many places where that offer, offer this possibility. So I offer this for your reflection.